1: It's incredible amounts of research and development, then brand and consumer satisfaction, because I think one of the things that people in our industry and in consumer products can sometimes lose sight of is the product doesn't only have to be amazing when you take it out of the package, right? And I want you to be just as happy on that 3000th light of the lighter or that 3000th meter of writing on the crystal pen or that six weeks of shaving on the big shaver. That's also that true test of time.
2: Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. Sarah, in your day-to-day conversations with brands, How often do you actually talk about the product?
3: You know, it is fascinating being president of a company that is responsible for tracking performance of products. You would think that I would be talking about products and product benefit and all that other stuff all day long. And yet the conversations so frequently turn into algorithms and all of the nuances of the tech that surrounds the
2: ability to actually sell product. But in the end, all you have, when I joined Gap, which is now a gazillion years ago, because time keeps going on. I remember saying to my boss, who was the CMO at the time, listen, I can do whatever you want in digital and social marketing, but it is smoke and mirrors to a product where quality has been taken out of it. And I can't fix that sitting in my marketing seat. It's actually very interesting
3: that you say it the way that you just did, because that I think that's frequently been the plight of a CMO. The plight of the CMO is, I can do all the different things that you tell me I need to do. I can do reach. I can do frequency. I can do engagement. I can make up whatever metric you want. I can hit it. The number one hindrance to purchase more than anything else is a crappy product. And that's not in the CMO's little piece of control in most instances.
2: They're a stakeholder. But what's so cool is that we get to talk today to the ultimate stakeholder, the CEO, whose span of control is every single discipline from product development, to supply chain, to retailer relationships, to brand building. And we're about to bring onto the show a CEO of of a Fortune 1000 company, BIC, that sells some of the world's most recognizable consumer products. And through the course of the interview, what just continued to come up was the focus on building great products, on innovating great products, that nothing else matters unless you have a great product that can stand the test of time.
3: First of all, make sure that you're ready to go buy something once you're done listening to this episode. I was out there loading my carts up with temporary tattoos, more funky pens, and I
2: uh, a couple of really uh, personality driving lighters, if you will. Well, let's bring Gonsalve onto the show.
1: Hey, Rachel. Hi, Sarah. Awesome to be here.
2: Well, we're so excited. We know you have a busy schedule, so we appreciate you fitting us in. You know, in preparing for this interview, I loved looking over your resume because it actually feels very unique in this moment in time. You've been at BIC for over 20 years. Of those 20, for the last five, you've been CEO, which is pretty unique in today's environment where people are constantly job hopping. There are often hiring CEOs from the outside. So how do you ensure your perspectives can stay balanced given the fact that you've spent so much time at BIC while still pushing the company you know, to be an innovator on the outside?
1: That's an awesome question. We're doing resumes. Well, mine starts almost at birth because I've been part of the company for all of 44 years. (laughs) Staying relevant, staying connected and having that outsider's perspective is tremendously important. Couldn't agree more. A few things that I think about doing, the first of which is not getting trapped in echo chambers and really going out to seek different perspectives, the opposite perspective. And that can come from something as simple as listening to other people's podcasts that don't necessarily agree with my viewpoints. Reading different press, but I also get to spend a lot of time all over the world with people that challenge me quite voraciously on certain things. It also comes from hiring people from different backgrounds. I spend a lot of my time making sure that the team members at BIC, all over the world, and in our headquarters, our central teams, our local teams, really come from as diverse backgrounds as is possible. And in many parts of the world, that really means that you walk into an office and you're going to be surprised by some of the people that you're going to meet in our team, ex-government employees, people who've done textiles, people who did contract manufacturing, not just a plethora of branded marketeers, although we have quite a few of those running around as well, but one of the mantras and the cultures that we've really tried to instill at the company since its founding, but at least I've really taken a a key focus on since becoming CEO, is looking at what are the things that are impacting us today. And I don't need to tell you, all you need to do is flip up your phone and open any one of the social media apps, and you're going to get bombarded by all sorts of things that could very easily reduce you to tears as to the state of our world, our society, and humanity itself. I choose to look at those things as opportunities and potential avenues to think about and maybe in a certain few cases solve, but it does take a village. And so bringing all those people together is super important. Now, the Bic brand is one that connects to everyone around the world. You know, we serve hundreds of millions of consumers every day. You wake up in the morning Maybe you shave, and so you use a big shaver. And then if you're me, you're running out the door, and you write a quick note to one of your children using a big pen. And then maybe on when you get home later, you light a scented candle to make the home smell nice. But really, we are privileged in that consumers hold our product, branded product, every day all over the world. And so to do that, we need to understand all of our consumers. And really, that means everyone. So we spend a lot of time with focus groups. We spend a lot of time looking at macro data. And that's from when I started my career, as you mentioned, make me feel a little bit old over 20 years ago. I don't think in my wildest dreams, starting out 20 years ago, marketing consumer products, I could have imagined the tools that we have at our disposal today To understand, track, and even interrogate consumers all over the world. So, if I want to ask left handed Thai people a question around how they want to hold a pen, I can do that. And I can do that really quickly. 20 years ago, that was a dream. Even 10 years ago, it was just an expensive endeavor. As CEO, I see my role as really enabling those connections, enabling those outside perspectives. I find myself often saying, hey, Let's just take a second here and think about what the other side might be saying or what are we missing or what other perspective could we bring to the table? And something as simple as that really changes outputs.
3: I gotta tell you, as a Jewish left-handed woman from New York, I'd be happy to be a tester of the four color because that's my favorite pen in the world. Always has been, probably since I'm like seven years old. Loyalist that's happy to be a... uh, a focus group of probably one, but either way.
1: Regular or pastel color?
3: Regular. Give me the red, blue, green, black. Don't waste my time with all the fancy pants stuff. I mean, I've seen some of the designer things. They're lovely. I'm a simple girl.
1: Rachel's like, Sarah, you're going off script. No, it's, it's great consumer feedback. <laughs> so
3: I do love what you're saying though, in terms of the perspectives coming from everywhere. And that, amount of diversity ends up leading to some wonderful thinking. I think diversity of perspective, diversity of even your product suite, the fact that like you said, you're holding one of your products at multiple given points during any given day, which is incredible. When you have so many different products and so many different people in so many different countries, you can't use the same motivational tactics to get the same kinds of outcomes. So how do you think about, I don't know, a personalized global approach to doing that? Is that even a possibility?
1: I think it has to be an ambition. Luckily, left-handed people tend to, to stick together when they're asked a certain type of question. And people from a certain part of New York might stick together if I ask them a certain type of question. So you find different affinity groups from a consumer perspective. At the heart of it, even before you get to the marketing of things, it all starts with an amazing product. If you don't have that amazing product, you're not 75 plus years long in this world. And that's what the big brand stands for. And I may not have the perfect product for you today, although I I think I might for you, Sarah. (laughs) I'm working on it. And that's where our innovation labs come into existence. And interestingly, one of the, the first choices I made five years ago when I became CEO was to split our innovation into three different groups. The first group is technical innovation. And those are people that work every day to make the pen smoother, write longer, sustainable plastics, sustainable manufacturing technologies, all those very technical things that you may or may not see on a daily basis in the hundreds of millions of products that we shift. The second of which was the flip side of that, because those are deep technical, you know, it's a stack of degrees on a conference table type stuff. Then we went to open innovation. That's something we'd never done internally. And I was very inspired by how other organizations had gone out to say, here's the problem I'm trying to solve. Who can help? And I'm not, A, ashamed to say I'm working on something. B, it's not rocket science to figure out that BIC is working on smoother products or BIC is trying to be more sustainable. There's nothing secret about that. So let's see what everybody else has to say. And it came to power of network. And I was just blown away by how people all over the world started putting up their hand going, I've got an idea. I've got a crazy idea. Hell, I've got a stupid idea. Funnily enough, the people who said it was a stupid idea tended to have brilliant ideas. We love people like that in our organization, but really that outside innovation platform was super important. And we've seen some really interesting advancements in writing technologies. We've seen them in some of the shaving world. And then in lighters, You know, we've got Snoop and Martha who are outsiders, and they've got an idea a minute on what we could be doing with lighters. And then last, but not least, was really going back to the consumer. And I could have started with that one, but I wanted to end because that's the one that was the biggest shift for us as an organization. Not that we had lost touch with the consumer, but we weren't investing the resources, the energy, and more importantly, the active listening skills to the consumer as we had in a very long time. So we made a very conscious effort to put the consumer and what she, he wanted really at the middle of everything that we did. And so that's not just marketing, right? That it's commercialization, it's route to market, it's understanding things like how do we need to change our packaging? And one of the big choices we made was to say our packaging has to be 100% sustainable by 2025. No more virgin plastic, only recycled, reused, compostable, or alternatives. Those are huge choices when you're a 30 million unit a day company all over the world, but really understanding that path to innovation and listening to the outside, collaborating with others while never reneging on our deeply technologically advanced culture and history was super important to product innovation.
2: It's amazing to hear sort of that three-pronged approach that has led you to really strong business results. When we last spoke, I reminded you of something that you said in an earnings call. And I loved what your reply back to me was. And so in an earnings call, you said, hey, in FY23, our goal is to grow net sales by 7%. And then you said to me, Rachel, we're going to beat it. I just love the confidence so early in the year. What are the growth strategies that you're pushing forward to enable BIP to hopefully surpass this level of revenue?
1: You know, our, our goal remains to grow five to seven percent for the entire company for this year. Of course, as the leader of that organization, I want to do a lot better, and I believe that we can do better, and our brand deserves that ambition. Again, it goes back to the consumer. Each of the three main divisions of the organization have such a tremendous role to play in our growth this year. On the back of very strong market share gains last year, in our human expression business, in back to school broadly, right? There's two big back to school periods. If you look at it globally in the Northern Hemisphere, we're on a September fall cycle. And then in the Southern Hemisphere, they're on a January, February, March, depending on which country you are. In both cases, gain of both value, but even in some cases, volume market shares and growing the market through reinforced route to market, improved e-commerce, and insightful and impactful communication campaigns, we were able to really get back to that value for money positioning that the BIC brand is known for. And in a recessionary or tough economic environment, really drives growth. Also, excellence in commercial partnerships with our key retailers, stakeholders, whether it's wholesalers, retailers, e-commerce pure players, whichever we see an opportunity. And there's a an age-old slogan inside BIC, which is a big scene is a big sold, And it's really about that depth, breadth and quality of the distribution that the brand gets. So in human expression, really, I I think that we're going to have a really good fall back to school and preparing for the Q1 back to school of 24. In Flame for Life, the easy reach business is still, it's it's rocking. I could make a pun and say it's on fire but I won't. Those who make much better jokes than me are are definitely Snoop, Martha, and now Willie Nelson, who's been just this fabulous addition to the trio of representatives for the brand. And that product is now continuing its geographic rollout. We're finding it in Europe. We're launching it in Latin America later this year. So there's a tremendous amount of value there. I'd be remiss though in not telling you that the non-cigarette flame occasions business in total is growing, right? So candles are growing, barbecue is growing, outdoor is growing, candles and other scented products and burning is growing, That's both market and us. So we're gaining market share, but also growing the market. And the brand really resonates with consumers there. And then finally, it's just geographic growth. Although we've been marketing those products for 50 years now, this is the 50th anniversary. It's amazing how much we still have left to do to make sure that we're the branded competitor championing safety and quality for the consumer around the world, which has really been core to the business since the beginning. And then in our third line of business, the blade excellence business continuing to launch products like Easy Rinse. This new product that we launched in January of this year onto the American market is a total game changer from a shaving technology perspective. It solves one of those fundamental issues that people have with the act and the product, which is cleaning and rinsing of blades and just The technology that uh, first bucket that I was talking about brought to bear on the insight of the fundamental consumer, it's really delivering incredible results for us. And then our nascent business, which is the temporary or non-permanent tattoo business, that one's, it just, it delights me every day, not only because I get to get tattooed and call it consumer research, but also just see how relevant it is in today's society of a need for self expression and mental health and belonging and inclusion. And just being part of that, if only for a minute a day with our communities is incredibly rewarding for me.
3: I have an actual question, but before that, what is your favorite temporary tattoo?
1: I've had live like a villain, die like a hero last week. I thought that one was pretty apropos.
3: That's solid. My high school yearbook quote was, "I'd rather uh, I'd rather laugh with the sinners and cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun." So that will date me in and of itself. So I feel like your tattoo and my high school yearbook quote are like simpatico. <laughs> but my real business question comes from a different from a different perspective, which is, I guess, a uh, sinner, saints, friends, enemies. The friend of me that is the retailer. You just talked about a whole bunch of innovations that you're bringing, whether it's in the rinse, it's in the lighter, it's in all these different areas, which is extraordinary and clearly comes from strong consumer insight. One of the challenges becomes retailers come on the fast follow with the private label. How do you balance, how do you handle that very, very delicate balance of recognizing that they are a big part of your lifeline, but also making sure that your brand equity really pops. And even more so if you want to go into the bonus question of that, how do you think about that in e-commerce when the only way you get to express that is through this like mini pixel kind of a world where you don't get to bring Snoop and Martha and Willie into that conversation once you're just searching for
1: shavers on walmart.com. Hopefully, actually, the banner pops up with them. But let me tackle your question.
3: What was a terrible strategy? That's your new tattoo.
1: (laughs) The theoretical opposition between brand and retailer is solved by having amazing products and by having an amazing brand. If you don't have either, hopefully, both of those, as we do, then you don't have a right to be there anyway, because the retailer isn't spending 2% of Per sales on research and development like you are. They aren't hiring hundreds of masters and PhD chemists and engineers and consumer research specialists like we are. They're just taking best of breed in the product world, which tends to mean best of breed like three to five years prior, and then rolling it as a private label. Their suppliers don't have access to all those amazing technologies, although there are some exceptions. But in our category of products, in disposable lighters, we are the global reference. There is no one who makes a product anything like ours. And 50 years on, I can say that with both hands on the table, no problem. And I'm happy and I'm investing to make sure that that stays the case for another couple of decades or more. In shaving, same thing. It's incredible amounts of research and development, then brand and consumer satisfaction. Cause I think one of the things that people in our industry in consumer products can sometimes lose sight of is the product doesn't only have to be amazing when you take it out of the package, right? So you have that amazing unpackaging now called unboxing because of my friends at YouTube moment. And you have this euphoric kind of merry condo moment where it makes you so happy. Well, that's great. But my products are made to last and last a long time. And I want you to be just as happy on that 3,000th light of the lighter, or that 3,000th meter of writing on the crystal pen, or that six weeks of shaving on the big shaver. That's also that true test of time. As long as you're delivering that to retailers, they're always going to have a place for you. Now, you have to be a category leader or a challenger. You have to bring something to the table. But I think that's true in all parts of our life, right?
2: So I love the passion you have for the quality of the products. My question to you is, when you look at Gen Z and you see there's no brand loyalty, and you see that one of the fastest growing retailers, which is outside of your category, is Sheen in China, where the products really have no quality. Do you feel that the upcoming generation of shoppers will care about quality products?
1: I'm going to challenge you and say, I don't see uh, Gen Z, any generation, as not caring about quality. They can become evangelical about quality if you give it to them, but they have to see it and perceive it. I would agree with you if you said to me, they are less followers than the previous generations. They're more skeptical. And they can be cynical if pushed. And they can make choices on some very specific attributes that when I started my career, we talked about internally, because it was the right thing to do. But we didn't talk about it externally. Today, people do a tremendous amount of research on products that less sub $10 per unit, they're still going to research the company to understand its position on x, y or z that's important to them. And they may bring that into the consideration set versus just well, what are the other cool kids? Or what are the other kids buying? It's more fragmented. The bar is set higher. The bar is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, never stop. And you can constantly trip, but it's so hard to hold up. That I will grant you. But when you deliver, when you read the thousands and thousands of comments on Any of the retail sites where you can go in and look at the ratings and review. And you see how a lot of them, I'm delighted with the product. I love this. I love that feature. This benefit really stood out for me. And then you get comments like we had. I was reading some body mark reviews a couple of weeks ago. And somebody said, this is what allows me to stand out in my classroom every day. I make my mark. I mean, the word stuck with me. It meant everything to me that I was doing that on a daily basis. And I think that each of the products and the categories that we operate in have that opportunity. And I just see that as a challenge for us as leaders every day.
2: I love it. And I love that you as CEO are reading all the product reviews on said websites. Gonzalo, I have no idea how you're going to answer this question. What's the bravest thing you've ever done?
1: Um, can I take my bonus question back and, and give you a two-part answer? We'll
2: grant you that wish.
1: Thank you. First answer is actually taking on the mantle of CEO of the company that bears my grandfather's name and who I was extremely close to. So you definitely feel that weight every day. But on a more personal note, I have four children who I love tremendously, fiercely, I would say. And my third one has ASD. And when we found out about that, you go through a questioning. You see the world through a completely different lens and Every day takes on a different meaning. And and for me, it took on the meaning of opportunity. And I came to this very simple conclusion. Love and hope are the only two things that you can have unconditionally in your life without limit and then make everything better.
2: So beautiful. And really, thank you for sharing that.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
2: Well, this was absolutely a, a masterclass in brand building in 2023. So we appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much, Rachel and Sarah. I really appreciate it. And everything that you guys do for the industry and challenging us and, and pushing me. We're here for it.
2: Well, as I said, at the very end, that was a masterclass in brand building, but also I think in the scope and the influence of the CEO. You can tell that Gonzalez is just so passionate about product that you can imagine how that translates to the rest of the organization. If you enjoyed this episode, we have interviewed many other CEOs on the show, as big as publicly traded companies like Revlon, to companies that have been acquired by publicly traded companies like Essie Sang of Tate's, which Mondelez acquired. We also have more private but large company CEOs, Seth Kaufman, CEO of Moet Hennessy. And then some more entrepreneurs. Recently, we just had the co-founder of Magic Spoon, as well as the president and leader of Kodiak Cakes. So go check out all of these incredible leaders to continue listening. And please tell a friend, write us a review on Apple Podcasts.